you're visiting with us, you're our honored guest. If I were to tell you tonight that this was outside of our building, uh, I, would, I would promise you that there would be a reaction. If I were to tell you that if you walked outside that door, there's this little kitty cat waiting on you, you would probably think to yourself, uh, I'm going to go after you. You know, you only have to be faster than one person to get away from a cat like that. Uh, that's kind of how it works. But when you stop and think about the devil and how the scriptures describe him like this, we're talking about an incredibly powerful being, somebody that stalks and somebody that knows how to capture prey. If you watch Natural Geographic or any of those animal shows, this, this, this cat right here knows exactly what's up and what to do with its prey. And it stalks and it works and it creeps. And just at the right moment, at the unsuspecting moment, he pounces. He does everything he can. And tonight I want to talk to you about Satan's devices, the way that he operates, the way that he works. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, if I were to tell you that the, that the lion is outside, you would say, well, duh, I, I'm not going to go outside. If I were to tell you that you're, there was a, a lion in the backyard of your house, you would say, kids, don't go in the backyard. Uh, don't go in the backyard at all. Wait to make sure. But that's not how Satan works. Whenever the Bible describes him like this, it's describing his power and his prowess, but he never operates in the form of just basically showing up like you would see a lion. If I see something this big, I got to tell you, nobody had to tell me when I was little, when I first went to a zoo in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, never been to a zoo before, still remember it. Nobody had to tell me, hey, uh, stay away from sticking your hand through the wire up to the animals. No, I know the signs were there. I've always wondered why those signs had to be there because anybody pretty much ought to know, except there's a real problem. The little ones don't know. They don't know. In my mind, I'm always pretty, uh, pretty scared of dogs. I've had a couple of, of dog experiences that ended me up on the top of a car. Uh, I, I, I had fight or flight. And uh, of course, look at me, come on. Uh, when I was younger, uh, uh, we're talking about flight. There was no fight. You just run for all your worth. You get away from it for all your worth. But you know, one thing I've learned is that not everybody assesses danger. The first thing that I always tell my girls every time that they go anywhere is, look, hey, listen, there's a dog. This dog, my girls are naturally gravitationally drawn to dogs. And so I'll say, what, 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 what's going to happen if you get down in a dog's face? If you, this dog doesn't know you from anybody. Who knows about this dog? We don't know this dog. Are you going to go crouch down over this dog? And I'll make them tell me, no, daddy, we're not going to do that. Why? And they will tell me, because that dog's going to bite your face off. That's what I tell them every time. I scare them to death about dogs because I know if they don't have an awareness, I got one that's going to go and try to let that dog lick her face every single time. You see, she doesn't know. She doesn't recognize it. And a lot of us are the same way. We don't know what's coming. We don't recognize the danger. And we stick our hand through the fence and we wonder how it is that this powerful animal yanks us through and into some place that we never thought we would end up and does what he does best with us, which is literally consume us. When the Bible talks about the devil seeking whom he may devour, he does not say nibble. We're talking about devouring. In 2 Corinthians, 11 verse, or 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 
In, Hebrew, in Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, the Bible says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now that's a pretty good army. We're not dealing with weakness here. I just showed you a picture of a lion, and none of these scriptures say, don't worry about the devil, just live your life however you want to. Not at all. They constantly warn us that we're in a, we're in a life and death game, but it is not with flesh and blood. It's with the spirit and it's with the soul of man. Satan operates through our flesh, but ultimately what's on the line is there is not a flesh and blood contest. People are going to die. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that go on. It's not a normal war that you fight. It is an inside war. It's an inside our heart war. In Revelation 12 and 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world, and he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Listen, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, none of those scriptures say, Hey, it's going to be great. What I'm not telling you about, and I'll go ahead and say this now, this is not meant to just make you afraid. It's meant to make you assess who your true enemy really is and make you bear up against him, make you think about who he is and make you think about the weaknesses in our own life because we all have them. One thing I, I know I can preach tonight with accuracy is every single person in this room has weaknesses. Now, Satan is not allowed to, to climb in and read our minds, but we can open the door for him in the same way that I could go to the fence uh, if you were to think about my greatest fear many times, it would be that picture of a little child inside of a fenced-in enclosure. They're smart enough and big enough to recognize how to operate the lever. We got a couple of those at church back home. We got a, a couple of kids that are just big enough but not quite big enough. When I say big enough but not quite big enough, here's what I mean. There's a big, there's a big highway right up on the, on the side, right close to the road. We put in a fence. You know we want to keep them all in. The problem is there's gates on that fence, and we don't really have locks on them yet. So sometimes you have that, that chill inside of somebody that's big enough but not big enough. They're big enough to flip the, the, the lid of the lock or the, 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 the latch up and go out and toward the road, but they're not big enough to assess how fast that car is coming. And all they know is they want that ball that went into the road. And they're not looking at how fast, and they're not able to judge the distance and there's an adult or there's somebody out there that begins to scream at them. Hey, get back in here. And they come back in. And in that moment, you realize just how fragile life really is. Well, Satan is somebody that is not to be trifled with. And he has a little while to work, as we'll talk about in just a moment. Whenever you look at natural geographic anything, one of the things you find is that's a very real image that's shown over and over and over again. I don't know if your kids love it, but I always have. Mine do too. And it's one of those pictures of how the food chain works. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, it, it, it's really an ugly thing to, to think about. But you have a defenseless, pitiful poor. Listen to what the scripture says again. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Satan is defeated. He already knows that. 
But his goal is to hurt God. The devil who deceived them, the Bible says, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. He only has a short time left. Do you know the only way that he can hurt God? You. It's the only way he can do it. You see, what Jesus did whenever he died, was buried, and rose again is he secured the pathway for you to, to start an eternal relationship with God. Right now, tonight, I can tell you there is a God in heaven that whenever you surrender to his will, whenever you identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in baptism, you are entering into an eternal kingdom. You start right now tonight in 2019 a relationship that will take you through eternity. You can't find, you can't find something that amazing. You can't find anywhere you could be a part of like that. Only in Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about it, what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to get one at a time. And he picks off and he peels off and he tries to, to peel uh, that, that one away. Or right now it might be you. And I don't know if you've ever felt like Satan was coming at you. But the fact of the business is he is angry. And if you've ever had a day where it seemed like the world was lining up on you, you don't have to think too hard about who it is that's behind that. What I want you to also know is there is a God in heaven that limits his ability to operate. And what God expects from us is that no matter if we get another good thing from God, we recognize who He is and that He's infinitely good and He's great and He's amazing. And if God never gives you another thing in your life, if He never answers another prayer, God is still infinitely good and God is still infinitely amazing and God is still deserving of your allegiance and your adoration every day. But He's not just a God that leaves it alone. He's not a God that leaves His children. Tonight we prayed in our assembly and we prayed for a reason. We have a father that listens to us. In fact, you may have had a bad dad experience. You may have had in-law and outlaw and step this and step that and blended every which way. And you may have not had a great experience with a father. But one thing I can tell you is that you've got a father in heaven that is absolutely amazing and does exactly what's right by you. You can't find that anywhere else. And of all the things that you will find about God, you will find a God that wants what's best for you all the time. But he also was a God that whenever you have to leave the nest and you begin to have your own wings representative of free will, when you leave the, the foolishness of childhood, not sin, but the foolishness of our childhood, and we grow up and we're accountable now, and we start making big boy and big girl sin decisions, the simple reality is there is something, someone that is tracking us, and he's got an angry disposition. I don't know anybody that ever watches Natural Ge uh, National Geographic and thinks, oh, that is the nicest kitty cat. I'd like to, uh, that is a sweet cat. No. You recognize the power and the prowess and how that is an absolute enemy of this defenseless calf, except the calf, for the most part, except for the instincts inside, really doesn't know what's happening to it until it's too late. We've got to be more aware. We've got to understand what it is that we have in Jesus Christ and the protections we have in Christ. Well, God trains us for the enemy so Satan's worst can become our blessing. That's something we need to believe in. In Psalms 144, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Did you know God is training you today? He has never trained any of his children to be the victim He's never trained any of his children not to be a people that don't know how to overcome. In fact, he trains us to be a people that no matter if Satan knocks us down, God will give us the strength inside to get up and whoop the devil. But you won't do it by yourself. Notice he said the Lord is the one that trains my hands. In 1 Peter 4 and 12, he talked about 
some of this. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And he said, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. There's a lot of things that Satan is going to do, and it's going to look like that it's bad for you and that it's not a good thing. And what God does is he transforms it, and he makes it something that builds even character. He makes it something that even though we have to endure some of the things that Satan, the tribulations that Satan wants to make us, to destroy us, God turns it into something that literally becomes our character and out of that character becomes an earnest expectation or hope. I'm not talking about publishers, clearinghouse, sweepstakes kind of hope. I don't know about you. I'm not really buying into the whole publishers, clearinghouse, sweepstakes thing. They've never come to my neighborhood. They have never contacted me. I have filled out their junk more than 50 times. Every time they send me an email, it says act now, and I act. If you'll just look through this list and buy something, I've even bought some of their junk before. They still hadn't showed up in my neighborhood. I don't have much hope in the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes showing up and giving me $5,000 a week for life. But I've got a tremendous amount of hope because Jesus died on the cross and every time it looks like that I'm going to fall down and every time it looks like that I'm down and out and every time it looks like I've messed up and I've messed up again or I've messed up again and I feel like what I figure out is that you got to get up one more time than you fall down and you can win this. And you can whoop Satan and no matter what he's trying to do to you and no matter how much he's trying to kick your teeth in right now, there is a God in heaven that wants you to know that although it may feel like you're defeated, what God is preparing is the greatest victory because one day... He's going to show up and you're going to be glorified with him and Satan's going to be destroyed and cast away. That's a day you want to be on the right team. You want to be on the right team that day. And what he was writing to these people, these are people that were under fiery trials. And he said, don't think that it's strange. Understand that the blessing you have is you get to participate in Christ's sufferings. There's a blessing in some of the stuff that we just have to go through. I don't know the why of it. I just know this. The Lord made his son die on a cross for our sins. And the Bible says the servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted the Lord, they're going to persecute you also. There's going to be junk you just got to deal with. And you got to know what the real motive behind it is. Satan's goal is to destroy you. God's goal is to make you better. And those things are happening at one and the same time in our hearts and lives. Satan lies and he's the father of lies. Listen, he said to them in John 8, 44, you are, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Now again, he had just told them that they could be free. You can be free. If you're my disciples, you can be free. And they did not want to accept that. And they rejected his teaching. And he told them why it was they rejected it. If I reject the teaching of the word of God, one of the most incredible things that I have to face is, who's my father? Because when I read the word of God, I'm reading the words of my father. And one of the key characteristics of what it means to be a person that's going to make it and going to win in this life is somebody that is on the Father's team and wants to please the Father. 
Now that has to be. That has to be in our hearts and our minds. And he called out these people here because literally they had a different father. They wanted to argue with him about religion. They wanted to argue about him uh, having the authority because they made an authority argument. They're basically like, who do you think you are? And he says, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you about my father. And I'm also going to tell you about your father. And he appealed to their credibility and he appealed to who they were really following. And that was the devil. And there's only two options we've got. We're either going to make God our father or Satan is going to be our father. In Genesis 3, 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden of God, God said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said unto the woman, If you you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice how Satan works. He comes along and he takes a circumstance where you clearly understand what the Word of God teaches and he begins to alter it. And we begin to say, what about, what about? Well, I, don't, I, I don't really see it that way. And somebody gets in our head and that somebody that gets in our head begins to twist around the obvious and we begin to question the obvious and we now make our question of that obvious our new faith. Stop and think about that for a minute. So many people are trading what they know to be the revealed Word of God for what they're thinking in their mind, the question in their mind. Listen, I am honest with you when I tell you that your mind will think up questions that I may not have the answer to. In fact, you may think up questions that, that the Bible may not have an answer to. But what God expects you to do is be able to filter some of that sometimes and recognize that you won't get an answer to everything that comes up in your mind. You won't know the answer. All the prophet in the Old Testament would say is God's ways are higher. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. And here you have a circumstance where Eve and Adam clearly understood the rules of the game. And they made a bad choice. And that choice cost them being evicted from the garden and from the tree of life. And they begin the process of physically dying. And it's a process that has stung every man and woman in, in, in all the world. Death has fallen upon all men because of sin. Romans 5 and verse 12. But again, Satan does his very best to try to change. He, he does his very best to alter just a little bit of what God has said. He does it just a little bit. And so in order to do that, he wants to destroy. He lies and he's the father of lies. He also blinds. In our neck of the woods, we have these lovely creatures called deer. Not deers, deer. You just say it the same way every time. Doesn't matter if it's one or a hundred, there's a bunch of deer out there. Uh, we got a bunch of deer. When you, when you were to drive up on deer... What you will find is uh, they will stop in the middle of the road. You put your, your, your eyes, uh, your, your headlights out there, and all of a sudden that deer will just, just sit there. If you're sitting in a field and you've got some kind of a spotlight and you shine that light in the deer's eye, all of a sudden that deer will just pop its head up. It's just one of those ignorant things that they do. They can't figure it out. They don't know what's going on. And that car can come closer and closer and faster and faster. And that deer just stands there and looks at you, and all of a sudden... It doesn't end well. A lot of times it doesn't end well. This is what Satan does. He blinds the mind. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They're blinded. Now, that's a terrible thought. 
But there are many times where the Lord would say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus would use a lot of circumstances where he would basically say, Your ears have grown dull. Your eyes, they're, they're glossed over. You're not really open to the understanding of what I'm trying to give you. Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, basically said it like this. Satan's shining something in your eyes. He's shining something here. And whenever that happens, what you'll find is that those people will not listen to the gospel. They, that you, you can't reach them. I can sit down with you and I can show you. Okay, this is what the Bible says. Very plainly. The Bible says this. And that person says, yeah, I, I can read that. And they read it out loud and say, okay, what, what is the answer to that? Let me give an example of that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Two things in that passage are very, very important. Number one, the key question is, can I please God if I don't believe in him with all my heart? Do I? Can't, can't, possibly. No. Well, certainly you can see that. Well, then there's the next part of that where the Bible says he rewards those who do what? Diligently seek him. Two things in that passage. Very, very important things that he does. The problem with that is today, the blindness of humanity is there, there, there is a stop mechanism. Somebody can say, yeah, you know, I, I know it says that, but here's the problem. I, I've always felt like, I've always thought, that really, uh, I just need to do that. I just need to, to believe in Him and, and it's all going to work out okay. No, no, no. There's another part to that. It says those that diligently seek Him. There are a lot of people that believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but they were not willing to follow Him because they had money tied up and they had money on the line. And they had people that, that were Jews that didn't like Jesus and they wanted to fit in with Him. And so Jesus would say, you're really close to the kingdom, but you're not in the kingdom. And the reason you're not in the kingdom is you've got these affections with other things. And He would say things like this. He said, look... You can't be partway with me. He said, you can't hold hands with the world. You can't be in love with this stuff and hold hands with me. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have a divided allegiance. And you're going to try for a while, but it's not going to work out. You're going to have to be all in to be with me, or you're going to have to go do what you got to do in your life. You know how many people have tried their very best to live their life and still have Jesus Christ and it's not working out for them? Because God requires the basic tenet of Christianity is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's diligently seeking him. That's the challenge. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to shine a bright light in your eye. And he wants you to not be able to see it. And he does a very good job of making that bright light available. And it is not the light of Jesus Christ. It's the blinding light of his lies. Well, Satan deceives by imitation. For, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, he, if, he, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now listen, keep going. On the mount... Uh, the, the very first sermon on the mount that Jesus gave, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Keep going for a second. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing or deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. They will speak lies and hypocrisy, 
having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now he goes on for a little bit talking about this explanation of how God made food to be something you enjoy if you bless it with prayer. That was a different teaching that they had ever known. And he said some people are going to come along and they're going to try to hijack the teaching of the church and they're going to make traditions where God has not taught anything. You've got to be careful of those guys. Jesus said they're going to be ravenous wolves. They look like sheep, but they're really ravenous wolves. And here he says they're able to transform themselves. I know a lot of really, really good, good acting, good, good people in so many circumstances that have believed somebody, a preacher, or whoever it is, and they've taken no responsibility for their own soul in this. The Bible says we have to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means by that. When you look at the Bible, God's holy word right here, what I mean by that is you should take your Bible out and you should measure everything that I'm saying by the book. And how do you know if I'm a preacher of God or if I'm a, a liar? Here's how you'd know it. You take this book and you sit down with it and you say, I'm going to write down every scripture Cullen has. If you want to take my, my sermon home, I'll give it to you. That's no problem. Take every scripture I'm giving you home. Take the explanations I'm giving you from scripture home with you. If what I'm saying is different than what the word of God says, I'm not a man of God and I'm not a preacher of God. And so many of my friends, people that I love so much, here's, here's the common thing that I hear. They, they say, you know, Cullen, I just don't feel like God is interested in the details. Let me see if I can make sure that I understand this. He said they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. He said they're going to be deceitful workers and they're going to look like somebody that's really righteous and good. He said they're going to teach details like this that are not okay with God. They're going to tell you sometimes in history this happened for sure, that you can't marry. They're going to teach you doctrines of demons. They're going to speak lies in hypocrisy. They're going to have a conscience seared with a hot iron. Are those details that matter? Yeah. You see, the real problem happens in religion when we do this. Whenever people make up their mind that I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe and you believe what you want to believe and it's all going to work out okay, that's a major problem. Here's why. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out demons. In thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, those of you that practice lawlessness. Now let me, let me back up for a second because, man, this is, this is plowing pretty close to the corn we're trying to grow. You're telling me that good, sweet, sincere people in that moment that have lived a somewhat definitely a religious life have jeopardized their soul. And yes, the answer is yes to that. Jesus answered it. He said, I don't know you. What is the determining factor? He said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So in other words, if I show you what the Bible teaches for you to do, the question I have and the commitment I ask from you tonight is this. If I can show you what the Bible says that's different than what you're currently doing, would you do it? If I can show you what the Bible says, period, would you do it? That answer has to be yes. That answer has to be absolutely yes. You see, what the Lord's going to do is He's going to start out and He's going to teach you with what the Bible would refer to as milk, just like a baby. It's not a very 
a proud thing to be able to say, okay, I'm going to start out and I'm going to be a baby in Christ. But that's exactly what we are. But then he expects us to grow. And sometimes during that period of being a baby, we grow and we're weak. We're weak. But then we grow to be strong. But all along the way, he's feeding us. And what he requires from us is that we be a people that are humble and willing to change. If he shows it to us, will you do it? One of the most effective questions I've ever heard anybody ask in any religious sector is this. If I showed you what the Bible says, would you promise me you'd do it? And that answer better be yes. How could we ever claim to be God's people if we would not answer that question? Yes. So then the rubber meets the road. And when I say the rubber meets the road, you're talking about, you mean you're going to change me morally? You're going to change my morals? Yep. Yeah. You mean I'm going to have to start doing some of the things differently than what I do? I'm going to have to start acting different? I'm going to have to change everything about my... Yeah, that's what you're going to have to do. But there's a different, there's a different twist on this. It's what you have the opportunity to do for an infinite holy God to send His Son to die for you. Because one day it's not going to matter about what you did today or this week or what kind of family vacation you took or what kind of house you live in or what your lifestyle is like. One day it's only going to matter if the Lord says, I know you or I don't know you. That's going to matter. That's going to be the most important. In fact, there's not going to be anything else that does matter. Well, Satan tempts people to sin. Listen, in Luke 22, 2, the Bible says... And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. You got two groups here that want something. You got Judas... That is selling Jesus out and you've got the Jews, the scribes and the, uh, the chief priests that want his blood because they're jealous of him. He was stealing their thunder. They were mad. Let me tell you why they were mad. They had been mad ever since John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, six months older than him. He was six months older than him and he had stood in the Jordan River and he'd looked every one of them in the eye and said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he told them, You to bring forth fruit that is worthy of repentance. They didn't like that very much. Now the common people came to John and they realized, hey, he's talking straight to everybody. You know what I love about God? He didn't care who you are or where you came from. He wants you to surrender and he wants you to change. So Jesus comes along and he begins to preach that same message. And he tells people, I tell you, neighbor, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. They didn't like that either. They thought that because they had blood veins that said, I've got Abraham's blood in my physical veins, they thought they were good with God. Have you ever known people that thought, you know, my parents churched me, my parents took me to church, I've, I've been in church. That's the same thing that was wrong with the Pharisees. They trusted in that, but they did not have a real relationship with God. And I'm going to define a real relationship with God as one where we surrender to the will of the Father. Because I don't know anybody that can claim they have a real relationship with God if they're disobeying God. I do not know where that passage exists. I don't know what teaching that would be that would ever help somebody think that. But here's what the Scripture says again. Satan entered. You had somebody that wanted to sell something and needed some money, wanted some money. That was his weakness. And guess what? He opened the door. Guess what our weaknesses do? Judas had a weakness for money. He was the guy that carried the bag. That always ought to make us nervous a little bit. 
You ought to be real nervous when you start thinking about money because money is one of those things that the love of it is the root of all evil. I think that's a pretty good qualify, qualifier when you sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Then you got other people that want blood and they're willing to participate in this as well. Not a good situation. Another story about money. Ananias and Sapphira. Guess what happened? Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? You ever had, some, you ever had a moment where you justified something to yourself? Stop and think for a second how Judas Iscariot must have justified this to himself. Stop and think how Ananias and Sapphira, this husband-wife combo, seemed to be doing something really good. Judas, you can't say anything was good about what he did. Ananias and Sapphira were early members of the church, and they sold some land, and they brought it, and they put it before the apostles. Most scholars believe that the reason why they were struck dead that day is because they were tempting the apostles to see if God's Holy Spirit was really in them and they were able to discern and see that he was cheating. They were cheating the situation. In other words, they were telling a half-truth. I don't know what would have been wrong with them selling the land and saying, hey, I'm going to give you half of it. But they acted like they gave it all to him. So stop and think for a second. Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie? That's a powerful statement. Have you ever stopped and justified yourself in circumstances? We all have. You get in trouble, you have somebody hold you accountable, and you say, well, the reason why I did it was. Well, why I said that was. Why I did that was. Well, imagine what justification must have been going through Ananias and Sapphira's mind, and it doesn't look like they got to give an answer. They were struck dead that day. The Bible says that fear fell on all the church. Yeah. Somebody comes into church tonight, they acted like they were one way and they really weren't, we dragged their dead bodies out of the church. I think that would cause a revival right up here in the middle of all of us, wouldn't it? We'd be all thinking, you know what? Uh, I'm going to fess up before I get this same circumstance going on. That was the supernatural moment where God was judging His people and helping people understand then what He is more long-suffering with now. You see, they were questioning, literally putting a bad situation about how the Holy Spirit worked and about how the apostles worked. And it was really a challenge to those guys. And God struck them dead. And that ought, to be, that ought to be a warning to us. It ought to be a warning to us about justification. It ought to be a warning to us about how Satan operates. Because he will give you a justification for whatever you want to believe and for whatever you want to think and for whatever you want to do. If you want to do it, God will let you do it. The problem is your choice is not free and there are consequences to that. And that's the dangerous side to how this works and how Satan tempts people to sin. Well, he takes and bakes and chokes the power of God's Word. The sower, the Bible says, the sower sows the Word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the Word that was sown in their hearts. These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they tumble. Now these are the ones also sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. This is all of us right here. The wayside soil. Who comes 
The Bible says Satan comes and takes it away. That's not where you want to be. That's not where anybody wants to be. I have heard people and watched people with the gospel before, and they have an attitude of, I really don't care what you're saying. In fact, they're doing everything but listen. They could care less. But the word is still there. It's still powerful. The problem is the heart that it's sown on could care less. And so the Bible says Satan takes it away. Be real careful when you hear the word of God to be open to it. Because the next ground goes like this. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, preacher. Yeah, you showed it to me. I like it. I accept it. But that's where it stops. You see, the Bible says we have to continue in it, and there's a, a natural growth process. And the problem is when people give up on the growth process, it goes kind of like this. I get into Jesus Christ. I'm all gung-ho. I grow a little plant. It's looking good. But the problem is then I take away all the water and all the fertilizer from it, and then I wonder why the root doesn't go down and it begins to die. In other words, it's a picture of people that literally don't do what's necessary to grow. You have to grow. You have to grow. What do you have to do to grow? You got to eat. You got to eat. I've never in my life forgotten what it was like to have twins. In fact, of all the things that I probably would have done, if we would have just had one, I would have probably been some arrogant person that gave people parenting advice. Listen, if you're here and you've got kids, bless your heart. You've survived. You've made it. It's great. I don't have any advice for you. I remember figuring out how we were going to put food in and get something out. I remembered all that. It was very, very important. In fact, it was necessary. Well, this one's not eating as much. Well, this one ate, but then it came out. I don't. It wasn't the proper coming out kind either. It's supposed. You're supposed to feed them, and it's supposed to stay there, and they grow. The next time you take them to the doctor, they're a little bigger and a little fatter, and and, and they grow. And if they don't, and oh, she's not eating as good as this one is. And mamas worry about that, and they make me worry about that. I didn't know what to worry about, but I do now. you got to eat. you got to grow. There's a growth chart. Oh, they're the 95th percentile. They're high, but oh, they're 40 percentile for weight. What are we going to do? I'm scared they're going to die. There's a chart. There's an expectation. We know that with little kids. Well, there's an expectation spiritually, too, and here's what it is. All your life, you're trying to act like Jesus and grow to be like Jesus. Every day. And he's going to help you do it. But you got to eat it. you got to eat the food. Sometimes the food's going to taste real good and it's going to get to your stomach and it's going to be bitter. That's what the Bible says about it itself. Sometimes it's like sweet honey. But then when it gets inside and it begins to change everything and all the relationships and everything begins to change, sometimes it's bitter. And you got to make that different. you got to make that call. But then he talked about the thorns, and he said this is the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. That's a very careful thing that we ought to take into consideration. There's a lot of stuff that Satan sends our way to try to get our mind off what our job is, and our job is to bear fruit. Our job is to grow, to be like Jesus every single day, to bear fruit. Last of all, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. In other words... The job of everybody that preaches the gospel and teaches the word of God is to make sure that this seed falls upon the ground and on the good ground to make sure that it does something. And he talks about the labor of that process. Sometimes it's in vain because what Satan does is he wants to destroy that work. That's what he tries to do. i got to hurry. Satan uses sickness, disease, and death 
all along throughout Scripture. There have been moments where disease and sickness and death, Satan uses that to destroy people, even to destroy and, and discourage and try to, to, to ruin people. Just know this, what Satan uses, what Satan tries to do, what he's always trying to do is make people sick and die. What God said basically is this, everybody's going to get sick and everybody's going to die. But what Satan does is because he knows that we don't want to die physically, and God's put all the cards on the table. He wants to frame it in such a way that it's God's fault and it's God's problem. And God's not the reason why we get sick and God's not the reason why we die. Sin is. And sin's our choice problem and it's our free will problem. And all along the time, He has always used sickness and disease and death to try to destroy people's faith. And tonight I pray that He's never able to do that for you. The Apostle Paul captured all this when he would say things like this. For me to depart and to be with the Lord is far better than this. If I stay, it's going to be better for you because I'm going to bless you with my life. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to do everything I can for you. But it's far better to die and go be with the Lord. That's when we know our relationship with God is real. Well, Satan does not win. In 1 Peter 3, 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Inasmuch that the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Hebrews said, He himself likewise shared in the same, that he might through death might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Satan's not going to win. You read... Luke chapter 4, and you read Matthew, and what you'll find is Jesus was taken up, and he is the perfect picture of what Satan tried to do. He tried to destroy Jesus with three different times, three different moments, at the weakest moment of Jesus' life, except for the Garden of Gethsemane. And in those moments, Jesus would say, it is written, it is written, it is written again. And that's what we have to do. The very, the very thing that God gave us to fight with are, are weapons. We don't wrestle, he said, against flesh and blood, but against a spiritual host. So what did he say? Take up the whole armor of God. He would say things like this. Gird your waist with the truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But then he said this. Above all, taking the shield of faith, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You know what he's saying? This is what's going on, and yes, this has to happen individually, but there's also something collectively that we do. Now, if somebody came in, God forbid, and they were to begin shooting, like we hear all this crazy stuff, you know where I'm going to be? I'm not going to stand right behind this. I'm going to get behind that. If somebody came in and they were shooting darts at you or shooting anything at you, where do you want to be? You want to stand behind this and try to figure out a way to... to no, you don't want to do that at all. You want to try to get behind something that's big enough for you to hide, something to put every part of your body so that they don't, they don't get any part of you. Satan does, Satan does his very best to destroy people before they have a chance to build and put together what God put in place. Well, let me tell you what God did. Before you ever have a chance to grow your faith the way it should be, He puts you as a part of a body. And what our job is, is we've got to do our very best to hide behind. When we're weak or sick or down and out, we've got to have somebody that's going to fight off the lines. And you better be that person for somebody because there's going to be, come a day in time where you're going to have somebody doing that for you. 
You better have a moment in your life where you recognize that you may be that person that somebody else is relying on and if you don't stand in there, you don't do your part, they're not going to make it. Listen to what the scripture says. For the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. You notice what he said back here? We make prayer. You know the greatest thing you'll ever do for anybody in, your, in their whole life? Anything, the greatest thing you can ever do for me, the greatest thing that I'll ever do for you is remind God of how important you are to me and I am to you. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to try to separate off. He wants to try to make sick. He wants to try to get somebody victimized and off by themselves away from the herd. And what the herd has the responsibility to do is get in there and dig in. We've got to dig in and we've got to build a, a, a perimeter around. We've got to do everything we can. Although the lines seem so close, we've got to do everything we can to fight them off. Because we're one body. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us has a victory, we all have a victory. And that's what you have in the body of Christ. You demonstrate that reality when you pray for your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You demonstrate that reality when you provoke one another unto love and good works. You demonstrate that when you call one another, when you send text messages of encouragement, when you send cards, when you do nothing more than smile and pat somebody on the back. You have a God-given job that anybody, no matter who they are in the whole wide world, you can be a blessing to them, but especially you can be a blessing to your brother and your sister in Christ. We are fighting. In fact, we are in the fight of our life against the devil. And we, when we're together, and when we have the herd assembled around us, we're going to beat him. We're going to beat him big. Because his fate is already known. We know what's going to happen to him. We don't want him to get another one. And those that he's got a hold of, we want to get back. We want to do everything we can to be on the Lord's side, to fight this fight for all we're worth. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, won't you accept the invitation? Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Light. Now, what I talked about tonight is not light. The Bible says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Whenever you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have just called upon, we have, we, somebody will call upon the most powerful beings in the universe. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they, by their power and authority, wash away the dead man of sin and they make, by their grace, they make us alive again, according to Ephesians 2 verse 1. And then the Bible says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is it that's in you? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're not going to lose when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in you and you're in Christ. Do you know the place where they are and you should be? In Christ. That's wherever spiritual blessing is. You're feeling weak and you're feeling alone and you're feeling like the world has victimized you and you feel like you need some help and you feel like you're down and out. You find the herd and the herd is the body of Jesus Christ. And we'll not only protect you, we'll fight some of your battles for you. We'll do everything we can. We'll bear every burden that we possibly can bear for you. The Bible tells us that's our job. Fulfill the law of Christ to bear one another's burdens. Are you here tonight and sin is overtaking you and you need our prayers? We'd love to pray for you. If you only knew, if you could only imagine 
At that moment where you feel the weakest, some of the greatest strength you'll ever find are people that are calling your name in prayer. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.